Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Happy Lundy Grawl. It is here. Fat Tuesdays tomorrow. Ash Wednesday is the day after. And we got plenty to get to on this edition of RP3 and Company. Whew, a lot of happened over the weekend. A slew of sporting events, if you will. A plethora of happenings. That we'll have to get to this morning. And we're going to tackle it all. Daytona 500? Yes. NBA All-Star Weekend? Yes. College baseball? You betcha. Softball? That too. Men's and women's basketball on the college hardwood? Yeah. We're going to get to it all. Cajuns, LSU, McNeese, not to worry. We got it planned out. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one. Raymond Parch III. I'm joined inside the game studios by a man that is filled with enthusiasm. A man who probably did not push himself to the limit this weekend while celebrating Mardi Gras. He's got a slew of energy this morning. <laughs> T-Lo himself, Dawson Eiselow. How you doing, bud? You look a little uh, look a little run down this morning. I'm really not. I'm not run down. I don't know where you're getting that from, but we're fine. <laughs> I'm like I really. I would tell you if I was, but I. But I'm not. I want to know how you celebrated Mardi Gras this past weekend because uh, you and the Miguel, aka Matt Miguez from Crunch Time, were in the same city for Mardi Gras festivities, and based on the group text. You guys were nearly parade buddies, which no one thought was a good idea when I called y'all parade buddies. No one responded to that. But you guys were nearly in the same location, correct? Yeah, I mean, we were in New Orleans, which is where, you know, I am from. So that's where I often go home from Mardi Gras. So when you go home, do you celebrate West Bank? So I remember as a kid living on the West Bank, like we didn't mess yeah. with East Bank stuff. So... <laughs> or well, North Shore, like we're like, nah, nah well, none of that, none of that. We have ours, and everything else is for everybody else. Is that the same thing? No, so like, yeah, no, I don't go, I don't do the West Bank parades anymore. We oh. did when I was a kid. Um, no, no, I go, I go to the city. Man goes to the city, but aren't you from the West Bank? Yeah, I'm from the West Bank. Love the. So West Bank. you've turned your back on West Bank. Okay, first Mardi of all, the West is that Bank, what you're telling me? Well, West Bank Mardi Gras was gone altogether for a few years. Like there were yeah. several years where there was nothing, and then they came back with a couple of parades. But no, I yeah, I mean I don't really do the I I pretty much do the city parades now. I don't really do the we used to do the Metairie parades because they're more like the you know like family friendly kid, kid friendly parades. parades. Yeah, 
Um, but now, I mean, I don't go to that many parades every year. I'll, you know, I handpick a few. Like Endemian, which was Saturday, uh, is one of my favorites. That's that 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 is. So we, I do. That's we, one we of do the Endemian ones. every year, and then you know maybe pick and choose a few. Like last year, you know, my Florida State friends came in town, and so we did Mardi Gras with them because they, you know, they hadn't done something like that. So I brought them to some of the other parades. That, but I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't do a ton other than that. Do you, when you get older? Your perception of things changes, right? So when I was a kid, I'm originally from Mobile, so Mardi Gras huge there. And then I lived in the West Bank of New Orleans. So, and so I've spent most of my life in Louisiana. Like I haven't gone to a single parade this year. We usually do. Last year for Mardi Gras, we went to see my family in Mobile, so we did Mobile Mardi Gras and took my wife Tina and. Uh, our daughter Hattie to that and they got to experience that with family but like this year we're going to try to go to one parade tomorrow because we're off here at the station for Fat Tuesday we're going to try but it's not like top priority if that makes any sense it's like well if we can get to one great if not we're good yeah, that's that's kind of how I am about it. Now, my girlfriend is like a is a Mardi Gras fanatic, uh, and so she rode in a parade last week. So I went to that as well. But oh, nice, bud! But she's more of a Mardi Gras fan than I am. So I'll probably end up, you know, doing more Mardi Gras than I would have on my own. But I mean, I like it. You know, I enjoy it. It's a fun weekend. But you know, it's also when you also in New Orleans, it's like a it's like two and a half months of of this stuff. <laughs> yes, so I mean, yes. and if you're from New yes. Orleans, you'll understand what I'm saying. Like there are parades. You know, three, four nights out of the week for the last like month and a half. So it gets to be a lot if you're kind of trying to do all of it. And it gets to be a bear. Not only if you try to do it, but when you have to live through it. Right. So like when your daily routine has to go around the Mardi Gras season because you can't get to the store to buy groceries because of a parade. Right. It's. So there's a part of that living in Mobile, living in New Orleans, living in Acadiana, Baton Rouge, like you kind of have a love-hate thing with Mardi Gras because you enjoy it, but on the same hand, it's such a pain because it impacts your daily life, and it does so for like two months. Yeah, I was trying to explain this to somebody like a couple weeks ago. When I was a kid and they did have a West Bank parade that rolled like right down Terry Parkway, right, right, right around where I lived. Uh, like those days were picked out, like you knew the days, mm-hmm. and like we had to make a plan because I mean, you know, I was playing sports and stuff, and we were having, and so some, you know, it's funny, like these places know that these things are going on, but they're still having events for, you know, so I had to go to practice and stuff, and like <laughs> yes, we had to have yes. a plan for the day that you had to be, we had to be out of the neighborhood by, you know, eight thirty a.m. wherever they were going to close the street, and we knew we weren't going to be able to come back home. We literally had to hang out and just do stuff until you know six o'clock, whenever they were going to open the streets back up, depending on if the parade got delayed or whatever. And they and don't care that you have places to no, go. They, if you don't sneak in before the parade comes, you're stuck, man. Yeah, that's tough for you. That, that They don't care. And the pol- police officers working don't really care either. Right? They're just like, sorry, man. That's, that's your bad. You should have got out when you can. One parade. So you did a parade with your lady. The previous weekend, and then this past weekend, you went back down again. Well, to she do was, another parade. She was in the parade, 
the previous weekend. The previous weekend. So, I so went, you were there to support her. Yeah, I had had a friend from out of town, and Got we it. went. And then, so then yesterday and Demian, not yesterday, Saturday. Saturday. Um, we all we just attended, which we do in Demian every year. We have like you know our friends have like a setup thing. It's a whole thing, but uh, yeah, did not end up seeing me guess because uh, you know I mean it's crowded and like it was gonna be it was gonna be a trek to get over there, but we were fairly close. Miguel. I think we're going to try to go to a parade tomorrow. I think daughter's going to go spend the night with her Mimi and Pop. Dropped her off yesterday, so she's spending Sunday, probably Monday. So we go pick her up on Tuesday, tomorrow. Then we can go to maybe one of the last parades. Maybe. But really, once you get married and you have kids, then it's a whole thing of, do I have the energy? (laughs) Dude. Do I want to go down? Like we talked about going to Karen Crow Mardi Gras because that would have been closer for us last weekend. But then the weather wasn't great. And we're like, nah, my wife was just getting over like a virus. So it was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to sit down in the cold and, and rain. And then we talked about going to the Scott Parade the next day. We didn't do that. Something came up. And then we missed the Sunset Parade, which we always go to, but we missed it. Something else had come came up, so it's just like, oh, well, see, I I also like I I'll give you about a ninety eight percent chance I don't go to anything the next two days. Also, though, I'm just not really familiar with Lafayette Mardi Gras as much because I've I've always been in New Orleans. Even when I went to UL, I still went home for Mardi Gras because we had all those days off. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I might might if I really get bored, maybe I'll hang out somewhere, but probably not. Probably just gonna take stay home. that, Acadiana. D-Lo says you're Mardi Gras, not good enough. That's not what I said. <laughs> you like how I just said, I probably won't attend a single parade, and yet I somehow shifted that to you yeah. hating on Mardi Gras. You're welcome, by the way. Did you have fun, though? Yeah, it was a good weekend. It was a good great. weekend. Mardi Gras is always interesting to me because some people go real hard in the paint, so to speak, to close out Mardi Gras. Because they feel like they got to get everything in before Ash Wednesday. <laughs> right. Lent begins and then it's over. Right. So got to get everything in. Got to eat all the, the, the crap that you can. Got to eat 800 king cakes. Got to, you know, take part in the revelry. Do everything else. And then some people are just like, eh. Like, a lot of people are just going to sleep in tomorrow. And, and two of those people are going to be, be us. Me, yeah. Well, and that's like I said, so last year, I mean, I had like all my friends from Florida State came. They've never been to it. So it was like, you know, in this, we went to the city, we did all the real ones and that like kind of is fun to let them experience it. Right. But like, again, since, you know, growing up in it, growing up in the city itself, you've done it a lot of different times. So for me, it's, you know, if I get to it, I get to it. But like in the future, if I get a chance to take a vacation the week of Mardi Gras instead of hanging out in New Orleans, I probably would take that chance. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, you know, if someone, if you haven't experienced it, yeah, you need to. But living it, it's a little different. Living it and and going through, you know, I always said it always build character, you know. When I was a kid, having drunk people. I remember one time, I guess I was about maybe, I don't know, 10, 9 or 10 years old. My old man took me downtown off Government Street in Mobile to go to Mardi Gras on one of the big parades. And, and, this woman was drunk and she had like four inch high heels on and I went down to grab a moon pie and she literally stepped stomped on my foot 
So I wouldn't get the moon pie. On your pie. hand? On my on my hand, sorry. Not on my foot, on my hand. I went down, I was like, ooh, moon pie. Right on the hand. And well, I and I was like, really? You see, I also really? I have this conversation with myself every year and you know, I had it with some some friends this year. Like, do we realize societally what we're doing with these whole parade concept that we've come up with here where we gather around and, you know, drink and eat and watch things go by and throw plastic at, like, do we conceptualize kind of like what we've created and that it has no point and that how did somebody get this idea off the ground and then get it some real legs and now, like, people come in from everywhere in the country and out of the country to experience this, but, like, really we're not doing anything. You know what I mean? Well, we thought about that. We were inspired by Brazil's carnival and then we took it. Right. No, even, but I mean, even that though, like even just like in general, like we're, you know, we're here and this is what we're doing. This is what we're choosing to do with our time. We're spending resources and different things to create it. That's just, you know, (laughs) not to say it's not a great look. I love it. It's great. But like when you really get down to the surface level and we've got other issues, but we're, this is something that's really prioritized. Have you ever brought up this conversation during a Mardi Gras celebration? Are you that guy? Three days ago, I actually did that exact thing. (laughs) We had the conversation. So like the first guy, the first guy who did it, like they were, they were like, I got this idea. Hear me out here. Let's get like ten to twelve thousand of our closest friends, spread them out across like four or five neighborhoods. <laughs> then we'll get these giant vehicles and we'll decorate them. And then, but here's the kicker: we're gonna throw pieces of plastic at everybody who's in the stands. That's the idea. So who's well, in? Well, and then the, everybody's the, like, "Yeah, we're good." You know, the the beads they came a later, uh, obviously, bud. <laughs> I, I'm simplifying it just for the sake of you know. It is a it's a sport it's a three hour show but it's a sports show so I didn't think we we could have spent the whole three hours and gone through the history I was trying to just summarize it for you I love it I love it and, and I love it you're that guy you're you're, you're the buzzkill at the Mardi Gras celebration you're like why are you trying to make us think like deep and stuff Dawson it's like the guy at the football well you know the, this is like what the gladiators used to do really when you think about it. Oh, man, let's just do our poll question of the day. I already know what Dawson and I are going to be doing. How will you celebrate Fat Tuesday, which is tomorrow? Are you going to go to the parades? It could be a possibility in the Parch household. Kid maybe wants to go to one. We haven't taken her one so far this year, so probably try to sneak one in. Eat some king cake. I think I've ate enough king cake. Party, 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 or other is our poll question of the day here on this Lundy Grawl edition of RP3 and Company. How will you celebrate Fat Tuesday tomorrow? 72% say other, 14% say party, 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 7% each say eat some king cake, go to the parades. JPK the OD says just going to chill out at home, bake a cake or something (laughs) with an intoxicated man eating a cake with his hands. Hart says, thinking of going to NOLA to exchange hand gestures with their mayor. Big yikes. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your remarks, your thoughts, your innermost thoughts, your comments, if you will, on Facebook and the Twitter. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll shift gears, if you will. We'll talk a little Daytona 500. It was Wreckapalooza late. Oh, yeah. That's coming up next right here on the game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. underway the 65th running of the great american race stage number one is over it's going to be won by brad keselowski ryan blaney harden into the outside wall eric jones kyle larson the pack comes apart here in turn four ricky stenhouse jr busted for speeding chris busher and brad keselowski have taken those fords to the front of the field it's brad over chris daniel suarez spinning to the apron of the speedway caution is out with two laps to go we're headed to overtime in the great american race and they're crashing for their back dylan byron cindric half a dozen ten cars want them up on the end of the back straight away overtime green white checker joey look out oh they're in the wall aj allmendinger is in the fence the entire pack blows up caution is on the speedway the race is deemed official ricky stenhouse jr has won the daytona 500 stenhouse wins first daytona 500 after a record 212 laps was needed because it became wreckapalooza <laughs> at the end and i'm watching it with the wife and she she has never watched nascar i may not follow it but i've watched enough of it and you and i are texting back and forth because you were watching the race too and i'm like She's like, oh, we 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 we're at an establishment. We're not going to say what it was. Hashtag no free ads. And I'm watching it, and I go, she goes, well, it's only like two laps to go. We can stay. And I was like, no, go ahead and prepare. Go and be prepared because it's going to be a wreck. It's going to be a wreck on the last. She goes, no, there won't. Sure enough, boom, boom, boom. I mean, this was pretty. It was also pretty tame, though. Like considering, I mean, you for the most part until the very end, and even and even the end. I mean, like there was a couple pileups, but you never. So like the big one is, you know, kind of like what you look forward to at Daytona and Talladega. There's usually always a crash that takes out half the field, and it's just high velocity, high speed. There was a couple, you know, kind of big ones, but there was never the really, really big one, which is. They've kind of done some tweaking to the rules and stuff. A lot of the drivers were concerned. Basically, the the package that was before this one was leading to some really high-speed, dangerous crashes, so there was some tweaking to it. But, yeah, no, it was overall kind of tame. I wouldn't call it boring, but it certainly wasn't like one of the best 500s that's ever taken place. No, and I would agree with you. That there were kind of lulls in it, right? Uh, some interesting things do happen with this. Stenhouse snaps... Uh, a long losing skid, right? Five years. He hasn't won a race. And he was never a guy that won a ton of races anyway, right? He, So he would be classified again, like we talked about, for those of you who don't follow NASCAR, Daytona and Talladega specifically is where anybody can win as long as you have a decent car. So That's where he's, he's won all his ever, races. Yeah, he's never won it. Right. Now, the funny thing is, so there's like under, you, you have like the blue blood team, so to speak, the really powerful teams. And then you have the underfunded teams that just don't have enough money, but are trying to work their way up. And then you have these like middle ground teams. 
JTG Doherty, who uh, Brad Doherty, former NBA player, is a co-owner of this team. And former NASCAR analyst. And still, well, still NASCAR analyst, yeah. actually. But he does the NBC section, which the way NASCAR does their broadcasting is weird. Instead of, like, rotating, it's Fox does the first half of the season, NBC does the second half. Right. But anyway, um, they're not an exactly underfunded team. They're just an underperforming team year after year. So it's kind of interesting, and they, they finally get a big one here. Uh, first Daytona 500 winning team co-owned by a black man and woman. So that was a bit of history made there. It's also interesting what happened yesterday. First single car team to win the Daytona 500 since the Wood Brothers Racing did it with Trevor Bain back in 2011. Usually it's the te- the mega teams, right? It's usually multiple drivers on the teams that win it, at least two or three that typically win the race. We haven't seen this in more than a decade. Yeah, and so now it's it's funny how it's evolved, but the reason, f- you know, part of the reason for that, well, A, there's less single-car teams now, There's all, you know, it's mostly is the bigger teams, but also you need help at these racetracks. There's a lot of the drafting and the bumping and the pushing is very important, and you need pushing. Now, the way it works is the manufacturers, so there's just three now, Ford, Chevy, and Toyota, so there's different teams within those manufacturers, but the manufacturers all kind of work together now. So you'll see that with green flag pit stops. Essentially, and, and you may have noticed this yesterday, you know, whenever the pit stops took place, it was always groups of cars, not one, because you don't want to lose the draft. The Correct. cars are faster when they're together. And so the manufacturers work together. So Stenhouse was able to work with the other Chevys. But then the funny thing, too, is as the race gets further and further along, less and less, even though you're Ford with a Ford, you're like, well, it's time for me to go. So I'm not worried about that anymore. So at the end, it kind of becomes a free-for-all anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, throughout the race, in order to position yourself better, it, it does help to work with A, your teammates, and then B, your manufacturer. Also, they made the big decision that Stenhouse was reunited with Mike Kelly, right? His old crew chief when he won those X, uh, Xfinity Series titles. Um, that was years ago, right? More than a decade, probably, when he won those. So, bit of a reunion there. And look, Stenhouse gets to win. It's great. But it's another example. Daytona's a weird race. So, Kurt Busch, it looked like to me that he was finally going to break through and win. Kyle. Kyle, sorry. But Kyle doesn't, right? And Kyle's a great driver. Great. Mark Martin never won, right? Very good driver. I don't think Mark was great. I think he was a good, very good driver. Tony Stewart was a great legendary driver, never won Daytona. It took Earnhardt, the Intimidator, more, what, 22 times, right, to get to the point where he finally won the Great American Race. I thought Bush was going to win, and he was salty afterwards, man. Like, he was real salty because he said, look, if we were still under 1998 rules, I would have won. And look, he rubs people the wrong way. He and his brother have always done that, right? They're a bit of the, the villains, if you will, of NASCAR because they just speak their mind. But to be right there and to know if it was, you know, 15 years earlier when you began racing that you would have the checkered flag and you would be the winner of the Daytona 500. But instead, we have the overtime and the extended time and you have to do all the restarts and everything like that. So that's what I was trying to explain to my wife. She goes, well, he's, I says, drivers hate that. Drivers hate them being in overtime and having to do the restart when they're leading the race because it gives everyone else now an equal opportunity to catch them. 
Yeah, a couple things there. You better hope my dad's not listening for you to have said Mark Martin wasn't great because he'll have something to say about that. (laughs) He was a very good driver. (laughs) He was a very good driver. I mean, he's probably a Hall of Famer. He did never win a championship, and he never won the 500. So those are always like the two pinnacles. Right, but when I say say great, I think guys that won the biggest races and also won a championship. Yeah, and so, I mean, Kyle Busch is is getting right up to the top of the list of the greatest ever to not have won the 500. And now... Especially the way the 500 is set up now, as I've already been saying, it's not necessarily an exhibition of the greatest talent. Like it's not simply, it's not simply the best car and the best driver. The it way used it to be that way, though, right? Back in the day, but it's been a long time now with these, with the, with essentially when they went to restrictor plates to Correct. slow down the cars. That Ever since everything. then, you've you've kind of opened it up a little bit more. But the talent driver, you. It takes talent, and it takes a good car, and but it takes everything like that, but it also takes a good amount of luck now right. and, and things to go your way. And, and a lot of these younger drivers, when you listen to the interviews over the weekend leading up to the race and then afterwards, so many of the younger drivers really don't like driving at Daytona or Talladega. Well, the, the older guys don't either now, too. Some of them. It, 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 some it's people really enjoy it. Now. Yeah, a lot of them. Again, so some of the, I don't know, I don't know if you'd call them the NASCAR purist guys, but... A lot of them think, you know, this is a more of a an entertainment fest for the fans with all the wrecks and the high speeds and anybody can win it than it is a showcase for the driver talent, which I would argue there's 34 other races throughout the season where we're going to display driver talents and things like that. Correct. Daytona and Talladega are for the fans, and they are the historic. So, But, yeah, there's definitely, like, certain drivers. I mean, A.J. Allmendinger, who's now a full-time Cup Series driver, he's been uh, up and down in different series over the years. He's basically always said, I, I hate I hate these tracks. I hate coming here. I hate racing them. I'm terrified the whole time. I just don't like it at all. And he's like a road course ace, a guy who's really good there. But some drivers now, and then other drivers, so it's, it's the best race of the year. It's fun. And especially the drivers who are in a little bit worse cars, they go, well, I got a shot to win here. So I love coming to Daytona. Correct. Which Stenhouse Jr., again, they're a car. Maybe they can figure things out this year. There's been some kind of buzz around, you know, maybe they're going to turn a corner. But also, he wins. He's in the playoffs now, assuming there's not more than 16 winners, which has only ever happened once, which was last year. So he's in the playoffs. So now the rest of the year, he can kind of push for wins, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and try to, you know, every win gets you five playoff points when the playoffs start and stuff like that. So interesting for uh, for the trajectory of Stenhouse, who's been coined Recky Spinhouse Jr., is what he's been called at times. Um, he's been involved in a lot of and accidents, some, things like that. And someone was so. very quick at uh, with, with the texting of that name. As well. <laughs> I mean, it's... You were like, right to me. I was like, that's funny. It's, it's, been, it's been said before. His 199 race winless streak was the fourth longest between wins in Cup Series history. So, 35 years old, Mississippi native, has a repeat win there. His only other victories came in 2017, and that's the year that he won at Talladega, and he won at the Daytona race in the summer. So... Congratulations to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for winning the Daytona 500. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we're going to shift gears to LSU basketball, men and women. What a weekend it was. The men had an ample opportunity to defeat the other worst team in the SEC, and they didn't. The women, they went on the road and took care of business. We'll recap it and hear from the coaches next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Not a whole lot to say. I, you know, obviously a very disappointing afternoon. And uh, I'll give credit to South Carolina. Uh, they had great energy. Obviously shot the ball incredibly well from the three-point line. And that was ultimately the difference in the game. Uh, you, know, you look at a lot of the other statistical categories. We're, we're fairly favorable to us. Uh, but we're minus 24 uh, points from behind the three-point line. And... Uh, you know, thought they had the uh, the energy and, and played with the urgency that was necessary to to win this game. Uh, so give them great credit. Poor Matt McMahon. <laughs> this can't be how he envisioned this going when he took the job. I mean, he knew that he was going to be taking over a team where he was going to have to build a roster from scratch. He was going to have to do so with a program that still – is under the shadow of being punished by the NCAA. That he was going to have to do it with a bunch of mid-major talent guys. But he had to think along the way when they began the season 12-1. and Including beating a top-10 ranked Arkansas team at the time to begin SEC play. You think Matt McMahon probably thought, okay, we're at least going to be competitive. We're at least going to, you know, compete and win a couple of games here. Well, the losing skid's up to 14 now. They're 12 and 15 overall on the season, 1 and 13 in SEC play following Saturday afternoon's 82 to 73 loss to South Carolina. Dawson, they were at home against a nine-win team, against a team fighting to be considered the worst in the conference with them. And they got pushed around and mollywopped at home by a nine-win team. Do you think they're trying to position themselves for the first pick of the SEC draft next year? <laughs> I can't wait for an NCAA transfer portal draft. I'd be here for that. 82 to 73, man. Wait, I love that concept that you just had. Like, right? This kid, top top ranked portal. Sorry, you're going to UC Santa Barbara. That's where that's where it's <laughs> Sorry, number one kid. pick. That's where you're spending your next two years. That's what you get for wanting to be in the transfer portal and not sticking it out. Now you have to go to Kansas State Community College. Yeah, I guess there's worse options than Santa Barbara. So I should. I mean, Santa Barbara sounds. Yeah, I should have had delightful. a better example. Just it was the first small school that came to mind. <laughs> You could have picked something in Mississippi. I mean, just yeah, just a random school in Mississippi. I don't even know what to do with this team, man. As South Carolina comes in, four players score in double digits. Once again, LSU is always on the struggle bus. Cam Hayes gives them 25. K.J. Williams, 14. Derek Fountain, 13. But they were awful. Like Adam Miller out there just not making shots, which is he's done all season long. They shot 41%, nearly 42% from the field for the game, but they started off shooting 36. 
like a 12 of 33 in the first half. 12 of 33! I think it also goes to show you how people don't know as much as they think a lot of times and things change so quickly because there was like buzz that this could from the national you know media especially that this could be like a dark horse tournament team once they beat Arkansas and played Kentucky close now I will say I think a lot of the local people around here kind of kind of told everybody like guys just just wait we're I don't think this is quite I remember being on the is. air and saying this is a great and it's a signature win for Matt McMahon because you beat a top 10 team but I said let's see if they can continue to do this like, it made you go, okay, they haven't really played anybody. They were tested by some inferior teams, but look, they figured it out. And I said that they could maybe be, if they keep on this trajectory, could be a tournament team. But let's see. Let's see what happens. And then going to Kentucky and competing, and you're like, well, they just beat Arkansas. And then they go on the road, and they, LSU always traditionally struggles in Lexington. They maybe have a a chance, but I was like, everything changed when they went to College Station, and Texas A&M bullied them, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, like that's not good, and then they lost to Florida, and then they got trucked by 40 points by Alabama, and you're like... And just started to snowball on, and you could see it was quick, like boom. And now they have no confidence. When you lose to a nine-win team, and it's almost March, you have no confidence. Like the guys have no confidence that they can win. None. I mean, not even on the road. That's that's what kind of they're at home. Yeah, I mean, you 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 talk about how how difficult it is to win road games. So South Carolina comes in, and you know they they're not feeling good about themselves either. But they got right in this one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see him winning down the stretch in the regular season. My only thought is maybe because in come conference tournament time, weird things tend to happen. You get, you know, guys get really amped up. Maybe they can. And you play another bad team. You're going to be playing. Right? Yeah, you'll probably but the you'll be the 14 seed most likely playing the 11. So, oh, oh, that's going to be But the thing with the SEC is, I mean, I'll take a look at the standings in a minute and get like who the projected matchup would be right now. But like there's kind of that that drop off to the bottom three. Whereas you get where you have Ole Miss down there with with LSU and South Carolina, but then you kind of have that jump up to the to the next like not great but not terrible team. So even even if they win a game, let's say they do that, yeah, it, it they're not mean winning much. the second game. Right, no. they're, they're not going to. Vandy comes to town on Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, then it's at Ole Miss on Saturday, then against Missouri next Wednesday. And then at Florida the following Saturday to wrap up the regular season. So four games left for the Tigers, who are now twelve and fifteen overall, one and thirteen in conference play, and have now lost fourteen straight games. And we mentioned the slow start. We mentioned how sluggish they came out, how poorly they shot. And Matt McMahon was asked, "Do you have any idea why this team struggles early on?" And we've tried different things the end of the day it's again I just come back it's it's my responsibility to have the team ready to play uh, it's an unbelievable opportunity uh, whether you've won 10 in a row one or lost 10 in a row whatever it, the case might be uh, it's such a privilege to get to play in these games I got, I got to find a way to have the team ready to play I mean we allow five of five from three uh, to start the game and you're playing out of a hole I mean the rest of the way that's a man that does not have an answer. 
why his team is pubble. Like he, you can tell he's struggling to figure out that they're practicing things, they change up things, they implement new things. He just doesn't have a talented roster. Let's just be let's just be real here. Yeah. Just to clean up that thought that I just had thrown out there. So, like what I'm talking about, that bottom bottom tier of the SEC has South Carolina at three and eleven, Ole Miss is two and twelve, and LSU's one and thirteen. But the eleventh place team right now, which Georgia and Mississippi State are tied at six and eight, you have Arkansas, Florida, and Missouri all seven and seven. All of those teams are now going to be really battling to get out of that bottom. You know, once you the eleventh seed will have to play. So that's actually going to be a pretty important little battle to see who can get out of the situation and and who you know all but one of those teams will earn the bye. But my point being, now look, you have a chance to go on the road, to Ole Miss, who is pretty bad as well, and kind of do what South Carolina did to you to them, a yeah. team that's at the bottom, going, hey man, we finally got a home team against a bad team. Maybe we get a win here and spoil that. That would do a couple things. A, it would put you up into the 13 seed, which so then you would get to play probably a rematch against South Carolina instead of playing one of those teams. But that was my point. If you're the 14 seed, if you're last place, you're going to have to play one of those, you know, not great, but pretty decent teams like Mississippi State, Missouri, or Georgia, one of those teams. And so. they've lost all those teams. Right. By a, by a lot in most cases. <laughs> so, now, they so, played a few of them competitive, so but not, yeah. not, not optimal. So LSU men lose again. The LSU women go on the road to Florida. This Florida team's not very good. They're three now 3-11 three and 11 in conference play, but you go on the road, you get tested a little bit. Gators made a game of it in the third as they outscored LSU by seven points, but the Tigers still easily won 90-79. to 79. Angel Reese was, well, dominant as always. 25 points, 16 boards, 12 of 16 shooting for Kim Mulkey's team, and the coach talked about just how good Angel was, especially there in the closeout quarter on Sunday. Well, absolutely. Angel's contributions in every quarter matter. But now in the third quarter, if you go back, we didn't give her the touch. We just didn't give her touches in the third quarter. And uh, we want to spread the wealth around. We want everybody to score. But when you when you come out and they've, you know, we've had five, I think it was five or six empty possessions well, find who needs to touch the ball. And I thought in the third quarter, we didn't do a, a good job. Alexis Mars couldn't get in sync and in rhythm. She was in foul trouble and, you know, but uh, she did fine. But I was really proud. And, and we need to say that about the three coming off the bench. Um, I just thought they, they did their job today. 25-1 and one now overall. They have Angel Reese. That's my big concern, Dawson, if, if I'm being honest, is they really need a third person to step up. We don't know who that is. And Morris is so inconsistent. She tends to get into foul trouble sometimes, and other times her shot just doesn't drop. They're going to have to kind of figure that out if they want to make a run to the Final Four. Like yeah, you, 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 you can't have Morris have off nights like she did uh, over the weekend against Florida. You can't have that in the tourney. You just can't. 26 games in. That third option thing, I think, is kind of just... It's not there. It's it's, it's set and... It's not happening. You know what I mean? You're going to need Angel to be dominant. And that's and part of that is that, again, for most of those games, they haven't needed it. And again, most of the games coming up, they won't need it. But it's like, yeah, you'd want to have seen it at some point. It's almost like, man, if... It'd be interesting to see what this team would play like if Angel Reese missed a few games. You certainly don't want that to happen. But I wonder what it would look like if she missed a few games and you had to rely on other girls. If they furthered their development is what you're saying. I w- yeah, I wonder yeah. if somebody would step up in those situations. Because again, like at this point, they just don't need it. And they're not going to need it. But when they get to the tournament, they will. And it doesn't 
seem like they're going to have it. So that's just a concern. But again, that's just kind of how this team's built. Again, they're ahead of schedule and they weren't way ahead of necessarily expecting to be where they are. So, you know, they'll be back and I'm sure that they will have some of those role players that can kind of step into those roles next year. Women wrap up the regular season at Vandy on Thursday before coming home on Sunday. That's right, Sunday for senior night slash the gold game when they'll take on Mississippi State at the PMAC. Five o'clock tip there on Sunday for that. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. How will you celebrate Fat Tuesday? 71% of you say other. 13% say eat some king cake. 8% apiece say go to the parades and party, party, party. Ralph says, doing whatever the grandkids want is their world. I'm just breathing their oxygen. Hashtag grandkids rock. Might try to squeeze in some dictionary time in case I ever have a conversation with Dawson. <laughs> by the way, I glanced over the earlier comment by JPK, the OD, friend of the show. Just going to chill out at home, bake a cake or something. And I just glanced. I said, oh, there's a photo of someone eating a cake in the bushes. My apologies. That's actually Johnny Cash. So shout out to JPK, the OD, for sharing that. My apologies for not putting the spotlight on Johnny. That's disrespectful on my part. John Paul says, I'll be at home with the lovely bride. It's been a busy weekend. Rode in the Youngsville Parade Saturday. Went west to visit family on Sunday. 24 years of marriage to celebrate today. So tomorrow we'll be home chilling with season five of Home Improvement. My man living his best life and congrats on the 24 years of married bliss, John Paul. Congratulations. Happy anniversary to you. And Doug on Twitter says, had my share of parades. Now I'm older and regulated to the sidelines. Doug, you're not regulated anything, my friend. Enjoy your day off. That's going to do it for our number one. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day. More RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Happy Lundy Graw. Hour number two has arrived here on RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III. Of course, I'm joined inside the studios by the man known as the D-Lo, Dawson Iserlo. NASCAR fanatic, health nut, 
on a man who's not obsessed with Mardi Gras but yet supports his lady's obsession. All-around stand-up guy. Just saying. Just saying. The man is a stand-up guy. Hour number one, we touched on a lot. We touched on what we did over the weekend and what we're planning on doing tomorrow for Fat Tuesday. We will be off for Fat Tuesday. We'll be back on the air on Ash Wednesday. But we asked you, what are your plans for tomorrow? Dalton and I have already voted other, as we'll probably sleep, is what's going to be on the agenda. May catch a parade with the little one because we didn't take her to one so far this year. Maybe. Maybe. Or I could just let her watch you know, some of her favorite cartoons for a couple hours and do that trade-off while I sleep in my recliner. So we'll see. But that is our poll question of the day. What are you going to do? Is it going to be, are you going to party it up? Party, party, party. Are you just going to spend Fat Tuesday eating a bunch of king cake? Are you going to catch the parades or other? We want to hear from you. Go vote on our poll question of the day and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. Plenty to get to. Plenty happened over the weekend. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. wins only his third cup race ever. At the Daytona 500, it was the longest Daytona 500 ever on record as they needed multiple overtimes to get the race in. Some crashes there on a couple of final restarts. And Ricky is your Daytona 500 champion. Joey Logano finishes second. And the heartache at Daytona continues for Bush, who is unable to get the job done again. But you know what? He can take solace. A lot of very good to great drivers. Papa Iserlo, please don't call in. Including Mark Martin and Tony Stewart. Never won the Daytona 500. Daytona 500. It was also a busy weekend on the hardwood. LSU men lose yet again for the 14th straight time. They're now 12-15 and 15 overall. 1-14 in SEC play. They have four games left. Vandy, Missouri, Florida looks like losses. The only game that could possibly be a dub for Matt McMahon's woeful team who lost on Saturday at home to a 9-win. Now 9-win. They were an 8-win. Now they're a 9-win team. South Carolina is on the road at Ole Miss. They're going to fire Kermit. Davis there, longtime head coach. They're going to make a change there. So maybe if you're LSU men's basketball fan, maybe you can go onto the road, make the short drive up to Oxford, and get that win. Maybe. Maybe. Is this team really going to begin 12-1 and and not win another game? Like, like, think about that for a second. We knew their roster was flawed. We knew it was going to be a rebuilding. We knew Matt McMahon had his hands full. I understand they didn't play anybody in non-conference play, Dawson. Yeah, but, but is this team really thing. going to begin 12-1 and one and not win yeah, another but, game? But that's what's weird. Again, like I said, and I mean, I've, I've talked about it a little bit. Some of those games were kind of like, you know, really crazy miracle wins for them. That they, The bounces all went their way early. But, like, they had a, a Wake Forest team who's, you know, middle of the pack, decent ACC team. Like, a cert, Wake Forest certainly a lot better than some of the teams that they've lost to in SEC play, right? They, they beat a couple of, you know, teams that, that are at least, like, you know, not horrible. A middle-of-the-road Big 12 team they lost to, which was Kansas State. Right, like there were a lot of teams in there that 
you figure that that's the crazy part. Like usually you would think a team that's, you know, in a power conference, like a lot of those games, honestly, if LSU replayed them, would probably lose a lot of those non-conference games that they won, right? Like, so that's what's crazy about it. But I mean, we've we've, they've we've gotten worse enough. Yeah, they've gotten just, worse as the seasons progress. Like a lot worse. Like a lot. Like worse. a lot worse. So we'll see what happens with the men. The women they go on the road. They beat Florida. Angel Reese was a double double machine yet again. The big concern for the Tigers women's basketball team is: is there going to be anybody else that's going to be able to help Angel Reese? Because Alexis Morris, when she's on, when her shot falls, is really good, even great. But it's just not consistently there. And they don't have a really a third option. So this team makes a run in the tournament. It's going to be on the back of Angel Reese. I think we all know that. That's what's going to happen. You hope Alexis Morris can be more consistent. You hope she won't get into foul trouble. She's the type of player that can get you buckets when she's on, but she can also pick up two quick fouls in like a minute and a half. And then you're like, well, okay. That's not optimal. So LSU women pick up another win. But what about the Raging Cajuns? We said on this show last week, on Friday, I do believe, it might have been Thursday and Friday, you wanted to see how this team performed in the second half against James Madison. Bob Marlin's team, Dawson. They lose, a, they lose a close game on the road. What are your thoughts of what you saw from Bob Marlin's team on the road at JMU, and has it changed your perception of what this team can do in the conference tournament? Hasn't changed my perception. I think that game went about as I, as I would have expected it to go. Again, what I talked about last week, that Troy game was a game that was that was tough to lose. I I'm, I wasn't shocked that they lost it because Troy's a good team. I think it did kind of have to reset our expectations of this team being like a special team that's like historically good as far as UL basketball is concerned. They're Sorry. not that team. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're probably not even quite as far along as the 2018 team was at this point. Of course, that was kind of running through some about play. Again, the conference is a lot better, so it's not a fully fair comparison, but... Um, you know, they're now sitting at 11-5 and five in conference play, which is really good, and I think if you'd have taken that at the beginning of the season, but it's not quite, you know, that this felt like a team that maybe would only lose two or three conference games after they went on that 10-game win, 10 winning streak. Uh, JMU's really good, and, you know, the funny thing is I, I said a few times last week I was concerned about the size of the guards. JMU's got three six-foot-four guards. Yep. It was the six-foot guard who did actually not start in their previous game but has started most of the season who ended up scoring 25 points and beating you. So you did not have really a whole lot of trouble with the guys with size, but it was the undersized guard who ended up being the difference. So um, I guess that's a good and bad. The good news is you weren't, like, that's not a big matchup issue, which I was concerned maybe those guys, you know, with Themis and Kentrell trying to defend the bigger guards, maybe that'll be a problem if they rematch them. It wasn't an issue. And the guy who, you know, had a good game, uh, Vado Morse, I believe his name is, like, he had a good game, but I think you feel good about your ability to match up with JMU if you play him again. Um, they you played, lost the second half again, though. Yeah, but they played well enough. I mean, look, it's a tough situation to play in on the road. I thought that – and, look, Jordan Brown got in foul trouble, and, you know, That's fair. I, That's I wasn't fair. fully – and also I wasn't fully a fan of the way the game was officiated because there weren't a whole lot of fouls called early on, but they called several on Jordan Brown. The last one where he fouled out – I thought it was incidental contact. I understand why it was called a foul, but 
I didn't love the way he was officiated specifically in this game as well, and I thought there were a few calls that didn't go your way. When you're on the road, that tends to happen more times than if you're at home. But, um, you know, they're, look, they're in a they're in a pretty good spot still. The good news is Troy lost, so I, I tweeted this out. But basically, um, if anyone, you know, if you haven't taken a look at the standings, the situation's pretty simple for the UL this week. Now, of course, if they want to have a shot to win the regular season title, that's looking really bleak now. You would need Southern Miss to lose two. That's both not going to happen. Yeah, so you would need Southern Miss to lose both of their games. You would need Marshall to lose one of their two, and you would have to win out to try to create They had tie. to win out. I mean, that, that was yeah. the whole thing. They needed to go on the road and beat James Madison. And Southern Miss gate opened up the door by inexplicably getting trucked at South Alabama last Thursday. So the door was open. They didn't get the job done. There's only two games left. You're right. Weird things have happened. It's it's not impossible, but let's be honest. UL's looking at being the three seed or the four seed for the conference tournament because it's Southern Miss at thirteen and three, Marshall twelve and four, and then UL and James Madison eleven and five. James Madison has the head-to-head win, which means they have the tiebreaker for conference seeding purposes. Which means you have now a two-game cushion between you, Troy, and Old Dominion. At the five spot, right? So it's simple as far as, which again, we've said all year, the biggest thing UL needs to do going into the conference tournament, the one box that has to be checked off is a top four seed. It's so hard to win four games in four days. We saw it last year. Even though UL was playing their best basketball of the season, they ran out of gas against Georgia State in the championship yes. game, who you know who had to play one less game than you. So all you need to do to get a top four seed is simple. Win one of your remaining two games. You play a bad Arkansas State team, the, probably the worst team in the conference, although they did get a win against Georgia State last week. So either the worst or second worst team at home on Wednesday. There's really, look, I, I, I won't be, there's no reason at all to lose that basketball game. Zero. So you should win the game on Wednesday and have everything wrapped up. You play, again, an emerging Really hot South Alabama team on Friday night. Four straight, by the way, and blew the doors off of Monroe on Saturday night, eighty-one to forty-five. That's back-to-back dominant routes. So they put together the Jaguars are hot. So here's the thing: we'll 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 have a chance to preview this game on Wednesday because we'll be back for the Wednesday show. Get the job done. Blow Arkansas State out. Do not make that game because you do not want to bring this down to Friday night. Have to beat South Alabama because again, if Troy or Old Dominion were to win out and you were to lose both of your games, now you're talking about potentially falling out of the top four. I don't think that's going to happen. I think this team handles their business against Arkansas State. Um, but that's what you now need to do. You have to win one of those remaining two games, and it's just that simple. Again, if you want to try to you know, worry about seeding, which, again, I, again, I don't really know how important the seeding is going to be one through four because it's just going to kind of depend on the draw because – South Alabama is a team that's going to be seated, you know, somewhere between five and eight. But you don't really want to have match up with them in the second round. But if you one don't have four to. is going to be on the same side of the bracket. One two, four three, is going to be, right? yeah. But but again, like I said, I don't know if I favor the matchup between UL and Southern Miss or the matchup between you and Mar- UL and Marshall. I mean, I think they match up pretty well with both teams. So to me, that's not as important as I would like to see. And again, you can't play for it like this because it's just going to be how the bracket plays out. But I would much rather avoid South Alabama in the first game you play, then avoid Southern Miss in the last game you play, if that makes sense. so That makes sense. And for the women, uh, a, a tough go of it for them as well. They lose at Arkansas State, right? We, we talked about it last week that that's always a troublesome game for them. That's always a weird trip. The women's program, when they go to Jonesboro, they lose by 10 69-59, that really hurts for them because now you look at the standings for the women and it, it 
It's not impossible, but James Madison Troy are going to be your top seed. They're going to battle it out in the last week because they got two games left as well, Wednesday and Friday as well. They play at home, doubleheaders for Cajun hoops this week to close out the regular season. But for the Cajun women, here's your problem. James Madison Troy are top. Then it's Texas State, Southern Miss, Old Dominion with a three-way tie for third. Okay, and then it's Georgia Southern, UL at 10-6. and six. So realistically, you still have an opportunity. Here's your problem. You're going to have to win out and get some help. And because they face Texas State and Southern Miss, who are tied for third. So if they can beat them, that's great. If Gary Broadhead's team can beat both of them at home, then that's going to elevate them to being a 12-6 and six team. More than likely, they're going to probably get sneak in. But then they still need help because they need some other teams to lose too. So it looks like the, the women are going to not get the bye. Yeah, this was uh, the Arkansas State one. And, again, there's no gimmies in Sunbelt play, specifically on the road. But this was this was your quote-unquote gimme game. This was the team that's at the bottom of the standings. You had to beat Arkansas State to try to set some things up. And then, again, not have the pressure of having to beat two really good teams in three days this week. Now, yeah, you got to beat two teams in the top half. Not to say they're not capable because, again, this team hasn't been outmatched by anybody they played in conference play. We've said that. You know, Maybe James Madison looked like they kind of overwhelmed them, but that was a road game. Um, so they'll have a chance, but you, you put yourself in a tough spot. And just back to the men real quick, you if you win out, you will be guaranteed at least the three seed because Marshall and uh, James Madison play each other uh, the, on Wednesday. So if oh. James Madison loses, then you're one game ahead of them, and you, if you win out, you'd be ahead. And if Marshall loses, you have the tiebreaker over them, so you'd be ahead of them. So if so you if win both, you're, win out, you're guaranteed at least, at least the three. three. Seed. And once again, you're looking at playing a James Madison team, which you play tough, so you can hang with them, or you'd play Marshall in that you know on that side of the bracket, who you easily match up against and beat easily. Yeah, and again, that's my. Mm. Uh, I'll be really interested to see when the bracket comes out because again, before you played those teams, you would have to play a, you know your first game of the tournament, which would technically be a, a third round game, I guess, with the double bye is going to come against one of that team in the middle of the pack, whether it's Troy, Old Dominion, South Alabama, or maybe if somebody pulls an upset, but it's going to be one of those teams. So you're not going to have – there's no there's not going to be a warm-up game, quote-unquote, to start the tournament this year. You're going to play a really good team in your first game, and hopefully you win that, you move on to the semifinals against, yeah, most likely either James Madison, Marshall, or Southern Miss, and then the championship against one of those three teams as well. Let so. me ask you this before we have to hit the, the break. Picked in the preseason – to win the conference, preseason player of the year. Not going to win a regular season championship. That's done, which means the automatic berth to the NIT is not going to be there. If this team doesn't win the conference tournament and they don't get to an NCAA tournament and they don't get to the NIT, with the expectations, with the talent, the experience, and everything like that, is this going to be considered a disappointing season yeah, the Raging Cajuns. Yeah, I think so. I, I and I mean, like again, it, it doesn't mean it's a complete failure because it's hard to win in this league, and they were still very good. But yeah, the expectation. This was a team that was loaded coming back. They brought back the Player of the Year. They brought back, you know, a, a team that went to the championship game, and then they got picked to win the league. Now, I think getting picked to win the league is not their fault, quote unquote. Like no. that's not something they asked for, but. It does raise the expectations, and this was a team that was brought back to do it. And they look, they haven't won the, you know, with Coach Marlin, and I, I'm a, as big a fan of Coach Marlin as anybody, but he hasn't won those big games. He hasn't won the, the conference tournament since, you know, Alfred Payton was here. So 
it would be uh, certainly a disappointment, especially now. I think you could have kind of softened the burden a little bit if you'd have won the regular season title and had that NIT automatic berth. Because, again, look, anything can happen in a conference tournament. And I, I don't like judging seasons based off those games. But now that you had an opportunity to win the regular season title and didn't, yeah, I think you, you this team needs to win the conference tournament. Now, I'm sure that's, you know, the, look, that's their goal. That's what they're going, and, and they know that everything's still in front of them. But um, I think, it, yeah, it maybe adds a little bit more pressure. Hopefully not for the players because they shouldn't have to feel that. But it certainly adds some more pressure from the fans towards them, kind of feeling like, man, they need to they need to get this done. We'll see if they can do it. Once again, doubleheader for both the men and women's basketball at the Cajun Dome Wednesday night, Friday night. We'll have you covered for all those games at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. we got to take a timeout. When we come back, the weekend that was on the Diamond, that's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Whether you're working or helping your wife shop for curtains, serenity now! You'll be brought up to speed on the highlights you may have missed. Thank you, you've been heavy. Here is the weekend that was on RP3 and Company. Baseball season started this past weekend, and man, some teams got also some strong starts. Let's start off with LSU. They got a clean sweep over Western Michigan, won the opener 10 to nothing, and then posted a 5-3 win on Saturday, and then wrapped up the three-game weekend series with a 9-2 win against Western Michigan on Sunday to close it out. As expected, I expected them to sweep Western Michigan. I expected them to take care of business the big story coming out of Alex Box Stadium over the weekend though Dawson was Tommy uh, Tommy Tanks obviously aka Tommy White injuring his right shoulder in his LSU debut on Friday scary moments they had to stop the game you saw LSU fan on social media go I mean, this came less than a week that after we find out that Grant Taylor was going to have to miss the season due to UCL injury, and then Tommy Tanks gets injured in the game. Thankfully, though, Jay Johnson said a few days ago that Tommy White's injury isn't serious, so it's not going to be the type of injury that's going to sideline him for the season, so a kind of a sigh of relief, so to speak, out of Baton Rouge. Because, I mean, that happened literally in game number one. Game number one. (laughs) He suffered an injury, and it's just like, oh, no. No, 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 no. But Tigers still get the clean sweep. Take all three games from Western Michigan. Tommy's injury is not season-ending. It's not that serious, so they'll get him back. And the Tigers will be in action tomorrow as they host Southern. That game will be at 2 o'clock, and you can listen to it live right here on the game. Jaguars, Tigers, live from Alex Box Stadium. That'll be their final two-note before they head out for the Round Rock Classic this coming weekend when they're going to be taking on K-State, Iowa, Sam Houston State, Texas, among others. No, Texas Texas is actually on the road. That's right. The Round Rock is K-State, Iowa, Sam Houston State. Then they're going to stay over in Texas and go play in Austin to take take uh take on ut as well so scary moment for the lsu tigers thankfully nothing serious on tommy so that's a good thing 
if you're an LSU fan. Raging Cajuns baseball opened up the season on the road. They'll have a four-game set this week at home there at the Teague against BYU. That'll be Wednesday through Saturday. The reason why that is, I'll explain. BYU is a Mormon school. Mormons do not have athletic events on Sundays. So that's why the series is Wednesday through Saturday, the four-game set. Typically, a four-game set would end on Sunday. So, I liked what I saw of the Cajuns. Now, you would, would obviously, you always want to go for a sweep. I get that. But they win a hard-fought game on the road at Rice. Uh, what we expect to be a better Rice team this year than they were last year. And then they absolutely mollywopped them 11-2 on Saturday. Now, they dropped the third game 12-8, a bit of a high-scoring affair, but not a bad start for Matt Diggs' team taking two or three on the road against the Rice Owls. Yeah, um, I got to watch some of these games on the lovely Conference USA TV subscription, which looked like it was filmed on an iPhone behind the net. Um, so it was. You know, I don't like to uh, call it was. organizations out, but Conference USA, please, please, let's let's get something going, right? And if it's Rice's broadcast, maybe that's what they would say. Rice, you're a national championship winning program. Let's get a let's get a camera installed in center field. Anyway, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought they looked good. I thought they looked good. I, Friday night's game was competitive. Uh, you mentioned it. Like, it was what you want a season opener to be. And, again, no matter who you're playing on Friday night, you're getting an ace uh, against you. It's usually going to be a competitive game, and it was. And Heath Hood's two-run homer. I mean, talk oh. about clutch. Um, and then you were able to close the door. Toit looks like he's going to be the closer, at least to start the season, which I like. I like that role for him. Um, Saturday, yeah, you've kind of flexed. You showed, you know, and, again, the depth there. Rice clearly doesn't have the depth that you have. Um, and Rice – Crazy, because, I mean, man, I mean, Rice was always just a power when I was growing up. So it's been an adjustment for me these last few years. You know, To once, watch them, watch that program. Dip. Yeah, once yeah. Wayne Graham retired, I mean, they just, they, they took a sharp decline, which, you know, a program like that you would have expected to be able to withstand a coaching change, and they certainly haven't. But um, Sunday's game was a little, it, it was, you know, the series, and like, you know, I had this conversation with a couple of people, like, no, I'm not worried that they didn't sweep them. It's a, uh, you won the series, which in college baseball, winning a series is is really what what matters. It's on the road already, so you know, like winning a series on the road in non-conference start the season. I'm not worried about the result. What I was worried about is what I was concerned with coming in the bullpen depth and the starting pitching depth as well. And you didn't pitch well at all on Sunday. You gave up a lot of free passes. Like it wasn't like yeah. Rice just started mashing the ball. On no, Sunday. they didn't. You gave them a lot of free passes, and they had some timely hits when they needed them. But uh, that's that's a concern. And so you need some guys that are going to be able to throw strikes and get outs in the middle to back end of that bullpen, um, as well as the guys in the starting rotation. I think, you know, look, Hammond looked good on Friday night. I think we feel pretty good about him. Um, but, you know, Jackson Neza struggled, the Fuller State transfer on Sunday. And so you're going to need to see some of those guys start to figure some things out. Now, this week will be a great example. I, again, I don't fully know why it's a four-game set. BYU's played like they play a ton of four-game series. I don't know if that's something with their scheduling that they prefer to do. Maybe they don't play as many midweek games. Um, but you'll play four games here starting on Wednesday, so you'll get a good chance to see that pitching depth because you're going to need to throw a lot of guys throughout gonna, the course, yep. especially early in the season. You're not going to be extending guys you know, too far past 100 pitches. So. We will probably see almost everyone on that roster that's going to throw innings this year will probably throw this week. So we'll, we'll get a good look at, at the team moving forward. But, yeah, good results first weekend. A little concerned about the pitching, but they've got plenty of time to figure it out. We talked about the Raging Cajun softball team heading to the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational. And we made sure to brace everyone for, look, this is a level of competition that they are not 
uh, routinely facing could rack up a bunch of L's. And there could be far more L's in non-conference play this year than in years past. And that Raging Cajun softball fans need to prepare for that because it's going to better prepare this team for down the road, right? To ultimately host a regional is the goal. They start off strong, right? 4-1 win on Thursday against Indiana. But when they lost to Michigan, I was like, oh, that's a one-run game. A tough loss to Michigan, 7-6. to Not totally surprised that they got mercy ruled by Oklahoma State. That's a great program. Not as great as its neighbor in Norman, but still a great program. You get mercy ruled 12-2 to in five innings to Oklahoma State. And then they just lose another one-loss game to Arkansas. And then they lose a one-run game, 4-3 to to UCLA. And then they lose another game in six innings to Florida State, 10-2. to We talked about their pitching, Dawson. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Taking it on the chin here. The way they did, obviously not ideal losing five of the six games you played in. But it is going to be the experience that Jerry Glasgow can have his team and have his pitchers learn from because they faced some really elite competition and they had some moments. You would have liked them to win more than one game. You'd like them to win the Michigan game. They could have won the UCLA game. They could have won the Arkansas game. They didn't but still a good experience that's going to help them down the road. Yeah, so this is a tough weekend. And the Michigan game, yeah, you're probably better than Michigan, so that's when what hurts. Like Mich- you're, Just on paper, UL's probably a better softball team than Michigan is, and you kicked it around defensively and really lost that game for no reason. Ugh. So that, that one stings. Arkansas and UCLA were really hard-fought competitive games. The Arkansas game, you fell down big and battled back and got mm-hmm. it to within one run. Look, I expected them, and I don't know if I came out and said it, but I fully expected them to get 10-run ruled at least once in this tournament or 8-run ruled is in, you know, the way yes. it is in softball. I expected that to happen because, when, look, when you're playing, you're not, again, we, we, and we tried to say it, but it, we, it can't be said enough. You're not playing top 25 teams. You're playing top five teams. Like, I think Florida State is probably going to move into the top five. I think UCLA is clearly in the top five, and I think Oklahoma State's definitely a top five team, and Arkansas is probably right on the fringe. Like, you're playing the best teams in the country, so that was going to happen. You see, you know, you just wanted to steal one of these, and that's what's tough. Because like you were right there, if you'd have beat Arkansas, you'd have felt good. If you'd have beat UCLA, I think you'd have kind of just felt good about the whole weekend. And you played really well. You played well enough to win. They held Maya Brady, who's probably the best hitter in the country, to an 0 for four day. That's Tom Brady's niece, by the way. She came in hitting like 605 in that game with with a ridiculous number of extra base hits. They held her to 0 for four. They had a couple of clutch hits. Maddie Hayden with a huge two run double. Like they were right there, and they come in the last inning. Sam Landry, who was great out of the bullpen, hits a batter. Uh, they go, they go ahead and take her out and put in Shorman, which I didn't have any trouble with. I didn't have any problem with that. I know some fans were upset with the decision because of how well Sam had pitched, but it's one of those situations you don't want to wait too long. And Coach Glasgow felt like Shorman, with the high velocity coming in, was a better option there. It doesn't work out. And look, UCLA it, down to the final out. There, you know, that's the reason they're a top five team. They had the big hit. Then you know what does sting is it's an error that brings home the winning run against you. So defensively, and that's always kind of been the question. We knew this team could hit. We know they have a lot of arms in the bullpen um, and in the starting, you know, circle. But it's defensively, and they're going to continue to kick it around. I think. Look, you got a lot of freshmen playing out there. 
and that's going to be the kind of weakness of this team. It's going to get hidden a lot, especially when you play against weaker teams, because you're going to strike so many batters out, and Coach Glasgow talked about that. The first weekend, they didn't get to test the defense much because the pitching's so good, they struck so many batters out, but they're okay, so like deep breath here. You, you get a chance to beat UCF tomorrow, try and kind of salvage things, so we'll see. We'll see if they can, but it's going to be a learning curve, and there's going to be more losses than a lot of people are accustomed to for the Cajun softball program, but if they can learn from it, they can actually have what they want, which is host a regional down the road. We've got to take a timeout. When we return, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Ag Radio joins us to talk all things LSU. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU men's basketball program has lost 14 straight games now. They're 12 and 15 overall. Will they win another game? Will that happen? And there's no one better to talk to about this because there's no one better than that loves talking about losing basketball than our good friend Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Oh, boy, this is like going to the dentist talking about this, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Okay, so a great opportunity, right? South Carolina is another dreadful team, and I say dreadful because they were like an eight-win team. You're at home. It's a winnable game, and it never seemed like it was a winnable game, Jeff. Like, you just – they lose at home to South Carolina. Like, I, I just I listen to Matt McMahon, poor Matt McMahon afterwards, you know, and you just go, he just sounds so defeated and dejected. He's just like, I, I, I have no real answers for you. I, I, I have no idea why this team is just awful, awful. Well, they're just, they're just not good. And maybe, hopefully, it's a lesson that you just can't take mid majors mid-major players and, and backups on Power 5 teams and, and hope to create a winning team out of that and to coach them up. And, to, and again, I mean, we've talked about it before. The situation wasn't good. I mean, he at one point had zero players on his roster. I get that. Um, but, I again, I don't hear much about, you know, what's the plan going forward. Um, I, I really do don't I? I mean, I guess that's. The, I mean, this season is obviously a lost year. But what are they going to do moving forward here? Uh, are they just going? And again, we you know, kind of same topic here. Uh, we we talked obviously the potential for NCAA penalties is a, is a roadblock in front of them, and I get that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, um, 
it, it's going it, to it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to build this thing up, and um, it, it this is hard to bounce back from. You know, I, I remember, you know, John Brady had a really bad season uh, during his helm, where I think they might have only won two games in league play. But the year before, at least they went to the Sweet 16, right? So there was there was a, a belief that you know he, he, you know he could still win there. But here, uh, this this is rough. This is really rough to watch. And uh, again, when you look at the 2023 SEC basketball recruiting rankings, I mean LSU is number nine in the SEC. They got just one commitment. Uh, well, they got two commitments. I'm sorry, two commitments. Um, but um, I, I don't know. One of them is a four star. One of them is a three star. Uh, the young man from Corey Chest is the the four star, um, who was a New Orleans guy who's now playing in Missouri. Uh, you know, power forward, six foot eight, but he weighs only 180 pounds. So obviously, you're you're talking about a guy that's going to have to to develop a little bit. So. I don't know. Uh, he's. I would imagine Matt McMahon's going to go diving deep into the transfer portal, but um, you know, grabbing guys out of mid majors and expecting them to produce on the Power Five level is is probably not the way to go. With four games left, will this team win another game this season, Jeff? I mean, it's possible, but. You're right. I mean, Saturday was their chance. And, again, they they get off to a slow start, uh, have another one of these scoring lulls where they can't put the basket – can't put the ball in the basket. And it really – that was really what cost them the game. I mean, there's just a, a poor start at the beginning, and they never were able to recover. They can't – they can't score enough – and they can't defend well enough to really just shut down a team in order to, to come back from these type of deficits uh, like the one they faced uh, early on to South Carolina on Saturday. So the men are firmly on the struggle bus. Uh, you've been in the state a while, Jeff. You've covered a lot of LSU men's basketball teams. You've talked a lot about them on Tiger Rag Radio. Is this the worst LSU men's team you've covered? I would think so. I mean, the other thing about it is, is that they don't. Not only do they lose, but they they don't. They're not really close. I mean, they're not even close to winning. Even in that South Carolina game, I mean, a game where you're you're playing a team that has just one more league win than you, and you get down by double digits in the first half, and you never. You never really recover from that. You never even get close. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, this would be it. And, you know, Johnny, he had, Johnny Jones had one, had a team. Gosh, what did they lose? Like 15 in a row, something like that at, at one point uh, during the season. His, his last year here, uh, it got really bad towards the end of the Trent Johnson era. I, I alluded to that John Brady uh, season where they won only like a couple games. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess this would probably be it. Um, I'm not going to really spend much time though uh, ranking them. Uh, I just think this is probably the the worst that you got. So um, 
Yeah, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's rough. It's rough. It's, it's rough. All right, let's talk about the women. They go on the road. They get yeah. a win against Florida. They only have two games uh, left, uh, and they should be able to, to win both of those, including senior night against Mississippi State on Sunday there at the PMAC. Uh, Jeff, uh, quickly, Angel Reese is phenomenal, but is she going to have to carry this team if they're going to make a run, say, to the Final Four? Well, it was good yesterday to see Jasmine Carson break out of her scoring slump. Um, you know, for her to hit seven threes, a career high. Now, obviously, you can't expect that every game. I think that was good. Uh, Ladesia Williams had a double-double. That was huge. Uh, I mean, yesterday's game could have really gotten a, very tricky for LSU because Alexis Morris, along with Flaugier Johnson both got into foul trouble in the first quarter and sat for much of the first half. Kim Mulkey had to go to her bench. Last tier, Poa really gave them some good minutes in the first half, along with Kateri Poole. And they really, it was a really a team effort to win that game against Florida. Johnson still ended up with double digits. Uh, you know, obviously Angel Reese did her, her thing, but. I really think when Jasmine Carson is shooting the way that she, you know, when, when, when she's on her game as far as the outside shot goes, uh, LSU is very difficult to beat, very difficult to beat. And uh, they put up 90 points yesterday. Um, that game was a little bit more probably back and forth than LSU expected as far as the pace goes. But as uh, Kim Mulkey mentioned, they were in control pretty, for really the entire game. Uh, but yeah, Angel Reese has got to be, you know, she's got to be the the big time player. She didn't get double digit rebounds uh, against South Carolina, and uh, they really do need, you know, like a, a t- her, her scoring twenty three points and grabbing fourteen, fifteen rebounds. But man, if they, you know, could get uh, what they got out of Carson and Ladeja Williams yesterday, that uh, really takes a load off of. Um, off of Angel Reese and Alexis Morris as well. Jeff, we'll get you out of here with this. Baseball, they sweep Western Michigan, which we kind of expected. Tommy Tanks, though, gets injured. Jay Johnson says it's not too serious, so it won't be a season ender for the the transfer. Uh, Just give me quickly, I got about a minute to spare. Give me your big takeaways from what you saw with the opening weekend series for Jay Johnson's team. Well, pitching was fantastic. How about no errors through the uh, first three games? I think that was important. Um, you know, and then Gavin Dugas doesn't even play in the first game and then is really your best hitter for the weekend after getting starts on Saturday and Sunday, which gives you an idea of just how much depth there is. And, yeah, they can, they can sustain an injury or two as far as their position players go. Um, Get a better test coming up this weekend when they head over to Round Rock. Uh, still, they're not playing great competition there, but it will be a step up from what they saw this past weekend. Jeff, appreciate your time. As always, brother, enjoy Fat Tuesday, and we'll talk to you next Monday, bud. All right, sounds good. Thanks a lot, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. 
poll question of the day. How will you celebrate Fat Tuesday? We're going to be off, so we have many options, including sleep. 74% of you say other. 10% say go to the parades. 10% say eat some king cake. 6% of you say party, party, party. Robert on Twitter says work, work, and more work. I've been there too. (laughs) Keep those votes coming. On the poll question of the day, how will you celebrate Fat Tuesday tomorrow? Keep leaving your comments as well on Facebook and Twitter. Two hours are in the books. What do we still got left for you? How about Jim Gazzolo, the great one, Jimmy G from LC? He's going to talk all things McNeese with us to kick off our number three baseball and basketball discussion. We'll also get to the NBA All-Star Weekend. Dawson and I will. Three-point contest, slam dunk contest, and, of course, the ridiculous game that actually took place uh, last night. (laughs) So that's all on tap for the final hour of today's RP3 and company. But we got to take a timeout. More coming up right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, welcome back to this Lundy Grawl edition of RP3 and Company. Make sure to go vote on our poll question of the day. What are your plans for Fat Tuesday? We'll be off the air tomorrow. So what are you going to do? Are you going to try to catch some parades? Are you going to eat a lot of king cake? Are you going to party, party, party? Or are you going to take the RP3 approach and sleep? That's also the approach the producer, uh, Dawson Iserlow, has decided to sign off on as well by the way. So it's approved by not one, but two of the game personalities. Go vote on that. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We've covered a lot of ground today. We've talked Daytona 500. We've talked LSU women's basketball winning. We've talked LSU men's basketball losing yet again. We've talked Raging Cajuns men and women suffering tough losses over the weekend as they head down the stretch. Two doubleheaders this week at home inside the Cajun Dome. And, man, we've even touched on what we're going to do for Mardi Gras. But now it's time for us to talk McNeese. Baseball opened up against Crichton or Creighton, depending on what part of the country you're from. And I've said it both ways in the last two weeks, so there you go. Shows you how much I know. To break it all down, all things Cowboys for us, is the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of Poke Nation our good friend, Jimmy G from LC himself, the great one. Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Jim. How are you? We don't have Jim. Jim is not there. Jimbo has disappeared. Something has happened to Jimbo. Uh, I, I am right here. There he is. There he is. Good morning, bud. How are you? What happened there? I 
well, we were going to ask you the I same thing. I could hear you. I could hear you. <laughs> oh, all right, bud. You, you want to talk some sports now? We good? Perhaps, perhaps too much Mardi Gras fun for you recently. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I haven't done anything besides eat. So let's uh-huh. let's all right. Let's start off with baseball. Hard fought okay. win on Friday, one yeah. nothing, and yeah. then they get outscored fourteen to five in the final two games, losing both of them nine to four and five to one to lose the opening series against Crichton or Creighton, depending on where you're from. What's your big takeaway of what you saw at the Joe this past weekend for the season opener for Justin Hill's team? Um, I, I think that they only got hit in two real innings the whole series. Uh, so they're trying to find the bullpen to fix. Um, that's really it. Uh, otherwise, they played pretty well. They didn't hit very well. Uh, which they will. I think I'm pretty confident they will. Uh, Creighton's obviously a really good program, has been for years, <clears throat> um, out of the Big East. So it was a good series that uh, they let a freshman try on Saturday, and an error cost them four runs. And then uh, yesterday, it was a one nothing game going into the ninth. They're still searching for the closer. And uh, it got away from them, and they gave up four runs there. Um, otherwise, I think once they figure out the bullpen, I think they'll be fine. How long do you think it's going to take Justin and his staff to figure out what the bullpen is? I mean, they got four road games this week at Sam Houston, the old conference rival, and then a three-game set in Arlington versus UTA. So, you know, is it going to take a little bit longer than a few weeks? Is it going to take maybe a month or so? When do we think the bullpen situation is going to be figured out? Oh, man, it's early. It's February. Uh, you're rough. I'm not uh, rough. I'm asking a, a simple question. I'm asking a simple question. How long should it take for them to be able to figure out the bullpen? Three weeks. Two, three weeks. A couple of weekends. There we go. See, um, that's not hard. This is what we do, the back and forth. I ask you a question, and you give me an answer. So you can educate me and educate our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Oh, you're rough. I will play oh, you're rough. No, we'll get to the roughness. We'll talk basketball. Wait on that. Just <laughs> how long is it going to take, do you think, for the bullpen? Uh, I'd say two or three weeks. I think Burrell Jones has to come around. Um, he was hurt last year, didn't have a big fall. I think he's a big package. I think Ty Abraham, they did very well on Friday night. They went The, the two combined. For three innings to close out a one nothing win, they didn't pitch on Saturday. On Sunday, they got roughed up in the ninth inning. Um, so I think learning how to pitch back to back in closing situations is the key because Cam Foster and the Stone Brothers aren't there uh, like they were. They took up a lot of the big innings last year. Someone's got to fill in those big innings. Let's switch over to the softball program. They're seven and two on the season, and yeah. they had a good showing at the Tracy Bird College Classic. Yeah, they lost the first game against number fifteen ranked Kentucky, but they turned around and got wins over South Dakota, UT Arlington, and then a win over number twenty-two ranked North Texas yesterday. Jim, and of course they get another opportunity against another ranked opponent. This will be the third one they faced in the month of February when they take on Washington tonight at. 
Joe Miller, or rather today at Joe Miller yeah. at 11 o'clock. Uh, what do you make of what you're seeing from the softball team? Well, I, this is the big question. Is how, They've always been very good. How do they play against the top-ranked teams because they scheduled them? Beating a number 22 team on the road, essentially, is, is a great win. I want to see how they come back and play the number 12. They were 12 last week. I don't know what they'll be this week. Uh, Washington at home. This is if they can win a game like Washington, now all of a sudden you start looking at maybe they are a two-bid team if they get in, um, if they don't win the league. And that's what he's always tried to accomplish is becoming a two-bid, maybe not a two-bid league, but a two-bid team um, because of who he plays and when he plays them. But he's get, he'll be the – James Landry, I'll be the first one to tell you that. We lost Jim. Let's try to get him back on the line, maybe establish a new connection there. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. He covers McNeese Athletics. That's what we're talking about here on RP3 and Company. Once again, softball team today is going to have two good games. They're going to be taking on number 12-ranked Washington. That'll be at 11 o'clock this morning. And then they'll take on South Alabama later on today tomorrow rather at three o'clock so they got a game against washington number 12 ranked team in the country today then they take on south alabama out of the sun belt tomorrow and then they have the cowgirl classic number two where they'll be playing stephen f austin twice and Ole miss twice and jim cazzolo rejoins us here on rp3 and company they get an opportunity to play a ranked team see how they bounce back but they also have some Interesting games against Stephen F. Austin this weekend for the Cowgirl Classic, too. And they get two games against Ole Miss out of the SEC. So uh, another good week. Even if they lose this morning against Washington, still some quality opponents for them to play and possibly win uh, notch wins against this week, Jim. Yeah, and that's kind of always been his philosophy is play a really good schedule. And getting teams here on the, on the, was the equivalent of their spring break has really helped the program um, not only build up, but get a reputation of, hey, maybe they could sneak in as a two-seed if they don't win a conference, if they win enough of these games. But you got to win these games, too. Well said, brother. Well said. All right, let's take uh, go from the diamond and head to the hardwood. And I, I want to start must off. We? Yes, we must. must. We? Yes, we must. Uh, as you know, as a man of integrity who covers the McNeese Athletics when they're good and bad, this is something that you can handle easily. The women's basketball team, 9-17 and 17 overall now. They're 6-9 and nine in conference play, and they're riding a four-game losing streak now. It started with that overtime loss to Southeastern back on the 9th, and it's been a loss against UNO, Incarnate Word, and then Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which they lost by double digits. They only have two game, three games remaining at Houston Christian on Thursday, at Southeastern on Saturday, and then they wrap up the season at home versus UNO. Uh, this team looked like it was going to be maybe a top four, top six seed in the conference tournament. Where do they stand right now, Jim? On the bubble. Firmly on the bubble. Um, this, is, uh, this is confusing. Uh, but... They have lost six of seven since their biggest win of the year, a 35-point win in Incarnate Word. They have not played well. They've lost their best player, Zuzana Kalitsky. 
They are limping to the finish line like no other. And yet they are still one win either Thursday night or one win next Wednesday from getting in the tournament, I believe. Um, but he's where the athletic director has said, getting into the tournament, being the eighth seed, that's not what we're building for a program. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but that, it's just it's a team that cannot shoot the basketball. Two for 27 the last two games at home. At home, uh, on um, uh, on their home friendly court from three, both made by Desiree Hansen, turned the ball over thirty two times Saturday. Not playing well, and, and I won't even get into the worst officiated basketball game I have seen above the seventh grade level in my life. <laughs> Welcome to the Southland. Oh 55, man, fifty five fouls. Oh. Nine held balls called and 68 free throws. That is just brutality on a whole nother level. That's a woof. Let's talk about the men because they had played so much better. Close win against Southeastern, who was atop the standings at the time. A three-point win. They they got out a one-point win against UNO. They went in overtime versus Incarnate Word. And then they get absolutely trucked by Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Saturday. What happened with the Cowboys over the weekend? They were playing so much better and in doing so against some pretty good teams. And then they just got taken to the behind the tool shed on Saturday. Well, they're down 38-34 at halftime, playing pretty well. Um, but the fact that they played an overtime game on Thursday night, the fact that they have no real bench, uh, Kristen Shoemate has to play 44 minutes and 12 seconds on Thursday. I think they were out of gas on Saturday. Um, but Shoemate had, cause Shoemate had 12 points at halftime, four points in the second half. Uh, that seemed like their legs... Got, got got away from them in the second half. Uh, that leaves them firmly on the bubble. Yeah, they're tied right now, despite the three-game winning streak, because those other teams also have been winning in the last two weeks. And they're tied at 5-10 and ten with three other teams. So, well, the- if you look at it two ways, Raymond, they're tied for 7th, or they're tied for last. <laughs> of course, you being you being a a, a glass half full guy, Mister Optimism, a ray of sunshine everywhere you go. You're obviously looking at this as that they're tied for seventh, correct? Oh, the glass is empty. <laughs> the glass is empty. He says. Oh, oh, I always believe the glass is empty unless it's thrown away. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that this is. <laughs> I, I hate to repeat myself. The the women have to win one game, and I think they're in. The, because Nichols is out, and there's they're only competing with one, really two other teams for. They're competing with. There's two teams for one for three, three teams for two spots. With the men, there's four teams for two spots. They're all tied. It's a bizarre tiebreak scenario. The men have to win two out of three to, to guarantee they're going to get in. Really, uh, and two of those three have to be on the two of their next three are on the road. So Thursday night's a huge night for both. 
Yeah, because they're tied with Incarnate Word, Lamar, UNO, who's now won two straight since losing to the Cowboys, and yeah. Manise. They're all 5-10. and 10. And when you look at their schedule, they have to play at Houston Christian, who currently is right above that grouping of all tied at 5-10. and 10. And then it's Southeastern, who will have revenge on their brains after uh, losing to McNeese. And that'll be yeah. at, in Hammond. And then they close it out against UNO. Does it still come down to that final night on March the 1st, whether or not the Cowboys get into the conference tournament or not? Um, I'm going to say no. I think it'll already be decided that both UNO and McNeese will be out. Um, Ooh, brutal. But I could be I could be wrong. Glass empty guy. Wrong. Glass empty guy strikes again. <laughs> but but I, here's, here's the problem for McNeese. Thursday night they have to go to North, to Houston. And then in the infinite wisdom of the Southwood Strong Conference scheduling, Hashtag. they have to drive past their home and on to Hammond for Saturday afternoon. <laughs> not what we call optimal, Jim. That's no, not well, optimal. Horrible. That's <laughs> a horrible schedule. Oh, buddy. You know, what see, would happen if, say, if they just, I don't know, too bad we don't have another school right by Hammond they could have traveled with, like maybe Nichols or New Orleans. No, we'll just do the opposite. We'll just go for the youth and the Southeast. Hashtag Southland Strong. Hashtag Southland Strong, my friend. Buddy, appreciate your time as always. I love the positivity and the negativity. You, you, you give it both, bud. You're like salt and pepper. Boom. I, All the I, time. I, I, I'm a king cake without the baby. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. All right. Goodbye. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. we got open phone lines for the rest of today's Lundy Graw edition of RP3 and Company. So if you want to call us and chop it up talking Daytona 500, LSU women winning, LSU men losing yet again, rough weekend for McNeese baseball and men's basketball but the softball team is winning games against top 25 competition what about ul softball huh tax act clearwater invitational didn't go the way they were hoping it would still some growing pains there for the cajuns baseball team takes two of three against rice men's basketball women's basketball they suffer tough losses but they wrap up the week this week with a doubleheader wednesday and then again on friday and, of course, we talked Minis Athletics just now with the great one, Jim Gazzolo. And we'll get to the NBA All-Star game begrudgingly. <laughs> I just, 
I just, yeah, you know, we'll just go ahead. Let's just go ahead and talk about it now. You know, we bag on the NFL for the Pro Bowl all the time, right? Uh, all the time. How it's flag football, how, you know, it's not entertaining and everything like that and so forth and so forth. Last night's All-Star game was 184 to 175. Like, I enjoy some good offensive basketball, d I do. But 184 to 175, Jason Tatum was your All-Star game MVP, scored a record 55 points. I get no one wants to play defense. I get no one wants to try hard on the other end. And you're just letting your friends just take open shots. I, I get it. But is this entertaining? Is is a, is a, an NBA All-Star game 184 to 175? Is that supposed to move the needle? Is that supposed to make me go, yeah, awesome? Well, apparently Paul George's friends didn't let him get open because he was 0 for 9 from 3 in the All-Star game. <laughs> no, I didn't watch. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I used to love All-Star Weekend. That was like one of my big kind of like I love the dunk contest I really like the you know the Friday night and the Saturday night the celebrity game and the uh skills competitions and the mini games which they've kind of like gone away from like I remember they had like the shooting stars competition I used to love that one um but they've kind of like gone away from that or at least they don't televise as much of that stuff if it's uh if it is taking place but no I didn't watch much at all um didn't watch a single minute of the all-star game itself um yeah, it's it's funny. It's uh, eh. like you, you thought like a basketball exhibition. I mean, you know. And again, I I look. They're probably next up. The NFL just went to the. We're, we're probably pretty close from getting like you know maybe some three on three style like pickup game tournament thing. It's been like, trending this way. They they do the thing that the, with the draft. Like you're on the playground, you pick your your players, and you know, and and they don't even do a, a classic East West thing anymore, right? They, they've been tweaking with the format, which. You know, call me a traditionalist. So you were voted a West All-Star, were you? Great. But then you don't play for the West. Like It's just, okay, I guess. I, I, I know I'm, I'm the curmudgeon here. I'm, I'm the old man. But, I, you know, the headline is, well, Jason Tatum scored an All-Star game record 55 points. They scored 184 points. Like, there's no defense. The guys are able to do windmill dunks with no one around. It's just, what are we doing? What are yeah, we doing? I think, uh, I mean, what's like the MLB All-Star game is like, are they going to be soft tossing now? Like, just kind of get it, the L screen out. We're just going to throw batting practice during the game and see if we can put up 50 runs. Is it going to be like the old the old MTV rock and jock events? You know, is that what we're doing here? Like, is, that's what it's becoming, I guess. And look. I love Damian Lillard. He made a big three in the game last night. He, of course, won the three-point contest. So that contest still has some name recognition. You're still getting all-stars and really great players taking part in that one. The dunk contest has been on its deathbed for years. We've talked about it a lot. People lost their minds because of a G League guy who never really developed into a star player in college like he was hyped up to be. He's now a G League guy playing for Philly. And Mac McGlone got perfect 50 dunks. 
And and I watched it. I watched the highlights of it. Those didn't look like perfect 50 dunks to me. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I could go into a rant about this. Like what? So we did kind of discuss off air about one thing that kind of hurt the dunk contest was LeBron not trying to, you know, not being a part of it. And then a lot of the stars kind of shied away from it over time. They'd rather film it on their phones as fans. The other thing that destroyed the dunk contest is the grading scale where anything remotely good is a 10 from almost every judge. Correct. And like people then would be upset when guys gave nines. Like you can't then. It's been ever since Leslie like the Aaron gave a nine Gordon, to someone and someone got all mad about it. Ever since the Aaron Gordon Zach Levine, which was a great dunk contest for the actual dunks that took place. But if you're giving tens on good dunks, then you have nothing to give when you get a great dunk, and that's what's ruined it. So we've had all these dunks where if, if you do anything special, you get a ten. Well, then you do something incredible that should be like that's why you should be giving eights and nines. I just that's what drove me insane. That's been like that for a very long time now. We give tens on everything, and then the one judge who doesn't give tens, they're like, "Oh, why is he being so hard?" I'm like, "No, it's actually, you know, like look, I I, I did my D-Lo scale on the decon segment. I wasn't going to give it a perfect score because there's slight concern. You have to give yourself wait. You you almost never give a perfect score because then what happens when something perfect happens? Are you, you telling have- me this little white boy is the greatest? His three fifties. You telling me he's one of the greatest? slam dunk competi- competitors of all time. Is that right, what you're like, telling well, me? Well, that's what the last seven or eight years we've had all these. Oh. We've given out 50s over and over again, and it's that's what I think has really hurt the contest because you don't you now when a guy does something incredible, it's a 50, but yeah, well, well so was everything else that just happened before it. So that's, I've really... He's on a two-way contract. That. Like, he was signed. It's a great story. Two-way contract earlier in the week. He only... <laughs> Has like a few minutes of actual NBA experience, and he won the dunk contest. Like, uh, okay, it's a great little story, I guess. But none of his dunks were Vince Carter arm through the hoop. None of them. None of them. So if you're telling me that Vince Carter back in the day put his arm through the hoop on the dunk is a perfect dunk, you're telling me that this guy's dunks are on the on the same level? Come on, man. But you're exactly right. They just love throwing tens because it's all hanging out. Former players are hanging out, grading the dunks, and they get to just throw up the tens and hang out and have a great time. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, 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 no. I know I sound like the crotchety old man today. I get it. I understand. And I'm okay with that because that's what I am, a crotchety old man. We got to take a time out. If you want to get those phone calls in, Open segment. We'd love to hear from you. Game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, let's talk some New Orleans Saints here. Dawson, 
the D-Lo. He has good news pertaining to the Saints and their offseason. No, they haven't signed Derek Carr. That hasn't happened yet. Looks like Jets and Panthers are going to try to make a run at the former Raiders quarterback. So we'll keep you posted on that. But some good news concerning salary cap space. Mickey Loomis, the wizard, has been working his magic. Yeah, well, they haven't signed Derek Carr yet, but this move honestly might coincide with them gearing up to give him a big offer because the Saints, as they always do, have continued to prove that the salary cap is just an idea or a concept, but not an actuality. <laughs> the Saints have converted $10 million of Eric McCoy's 2023 compensation into a signing bonus there while, it is. of course, adding a void year, creating $8 million in cap space per, soy- per source. That was tweeted by Field Yates of ESPN. So, I can't wait for the NFL to change the rules and not allow Mickey Loomis to do what he's always done. And he was the first to do it, and no one else did it. And then they finally, other teams figured out, oh, we can just take the base salary and convert it into signing bonus money? Well, okay. Yeah, and like, again, it does, <laughs> like, it does have consequences down the road, but like, what they've continued to do is just keep, I mean, they just keep kicking the can down. There. I just think of like the, it's like the old Campbell's commercials with the soup can rolling down. And the, but this commercial just doesn't end. This, the can just keeps rolling. There's never a point where it's going to stop. I mean, you just keep. It, it, it will end when Mickey Loomis retires. Is that yeah? And that dude, I'll tell work. you, that's going to be a rough job to take over. Whoever oh. takes over is just going to have like they're going to be seven hundred twenty-two million dollars over the cap when the next guy <laughs> takes over and the NFL changes the rules. So that's the good news. Freed up some salary cap space, took McCoy's contract for uh, this next season, and turned it into signing bonus money. So that's good news. Here's the not so good news. Lots of hope out there that Michael Thomas is happy with the Saints. That Michael Thomas is not going to be traded or cut. That, you know, he's going to be coming back and playing for the team this fall. Well, Michael Thomas likes to be active on the social medias. Over the weekend, CNN Sports tweeted out the news that Former Philadelphia Eagles captain Chris Margos had been awarded $43.5 million in a lawsuit against his doctors over a career-ending knee injury. Pretty significant there, right? Well, can't guard Mike, quote tweeted that little news blurb and said, with the applause emoji, right decision. The NFL medical sucks cheap and uneducated their job requires barely any education or curriculum and then he followed up his comment with a comment to himself well at least in some places i know now we're not going to talk about grammar and sentence structure on twitter with can't guard mike but my man says nfl medical personnel suck they're uneducated And they barely have any education or curriculum. And then he takes a shot at the Saints, obviously, by saying, well, at least some places I know. Now, those tweets by Michael Thomas have since been deleted by him. But what do we make of that? I don't know if we make much of it, to be honest, because we already knew that he didn't feel good about that. Now... Him saying it, if you're the type of person that subscribes to the notion of him being a locker room distraction and not wanting people like that in your locker room, then maybe this kind of... But 
chances are if you like if you felt that way about Michael Thomas, you already felt that way. So I don't think this tweet's going to change anything. Like we know who he is. We know what he is. He's a very good player when he plays. That's not much. He has a lot that's of things to say. That's been almost a presidential term since that happened. He yes. has a lot of things to say when he plays or when he doesn't play. Correct. Um, he, it's it's never seemed to be a, the only good thing about it. It's never seemed to be a problem within the locker room, except when he's gotten in fights with teammates. Teammates. So, like I say, mm-hmm. that tongue in cheek. Like it has been a problem in the locker room. So, look, I the, what it comes down to for me is like I, <laughs> they need him. Like I and if and if it becomes an opportunity for him to come back and they bring him back, like I I won't be that upset about it because he's really the missing piece of what they're trying to build offensively. If they let him go, I won't be upset either because I understand how much of a headache he probably is for a lot of the guys in that locker room and in that facility. I don't care about the headache thing. I find it funny and amusing. Okay. And if you want to look, everyone's allowed to express themselves on social media. But some people need to learn to think about what you've tweeted out before you actually hit send. And I get Thomas's frustration. There has to be some accountability on his end for not, as we know, having surgeries done or doing what was supposed to be done on his end during this whole saga of missing essentially three seasons. I understand that you feel like the medical personnel for the Saints has sucked. Uh, We've been critical of the personnel for the Saints for years, and they've even switched medical personnel's for their team doctors, and it still hasn't got any better, okay? So I I get frustration. I understand that. And you say they need him. Why do they they need a guy that hasn't played in three years? I mean, that... Because you're never going to need Zion. I mean, you're, you're you're never going to get the Michael Thomas that you saw the last time he was out. That's well, never going to well, happen. That's what, and again, I, I it's not like a bring him back at all costs. That's what I said. But he is the piece that that the offense you know seemingly needs here, and it's going to be pretty hard to find a guy like him elsewhere. So yeah, I'm not again, I'm not suggesting that you need that you need to bring him back. I'm, and I, I guess need isn't the right word, but he does fit nicely into what their plans are offensively, seemingly right now. So. We'll see, but yeah, no, there's no. I won't be heartbroken if they decide to move on, and it, it definitely seems like it's trending that direction. And yeah, his statements are, are obviously pretty irresponsible. That's why he deleted the tweet. He recognized that. I mean, you're making a blanket statement again, and he even recognized that while you know responding to it to try to clean it up. Like even if, and and maybe that you know we don't know. Maybe the Saints staff has been poor and has done things poorly. I I don't fully know that, but. He then says, you know, he's talking about 31 other teams, and I'm sure he's had conversations with other guys that have been like, yeah, no, yeah, I had similar issues. But Correct. Yeah, pretty, pretty, um, and I would I would be interested to know who, if, if he decided to take that town, or how many uh, members of A, the Saints staff, or the PR, or his lawyers, or, or his agent, else, or someone yeah, said, yeah, said what, hey, let's yeah, go ahead what do you and do? remove, or if someone else, I wonder if someone else has access to the account whenever he tweets something. <laughs> like, Steve, go ahead. Go get the uh, login. Go take it down. Steve, go take care of that. Uh, Michael got a little, uh, a, a little too sideways on the on the Twitter. I, I also think for him and and look, when he's healthy, he's immensely talented. We haven't seen that in, in almost four years. Like that's that, that's the reality that we're dealing with here. And you're paying him a lot of money. And any team, even though you restructured the deal. And it will help you immensely come June 1st, correct? 
with the salary cap situation, with being able to move on from him, being able to trade him and everything that you may happen with the future of Michael Thomas in New Orleans. Complaining about medical staffs and complaining about the league doesn't necessarily endear you to a new team that maybe is thinking about trading for you. Because, look, do players care about that, that you put the medical team on blast? No, no one in the locker room is really going to care about all that. There's not. And the coach may not even care about that, if we're being honest, because it's a you know bottom-line league. It's about winning. Owners and GMs, owners and GMs are not the same as players and coaches, Dawson. They're just not. And they pay a lot of attention to certain things. They just do. Whether it's right or wrong, a lot of owners, especially in the NFL, are very petty. Very petty and small. And we've seen this happen before where players, you know, burn out their welcome or put the league or put other teams on blast. And sometimes it's hard for them to find another job. Yeah, I mean... That's what I'm saying. Like, I just... From like from a PR standpoint, you just don't want to like. There's another way of doing it, like a sit down interview with Tom Rinaldi or something like that, right? Where you can kind of frame it a little bit differently. Where you're like, we need to do a better job for everyone in the league, right? The league needs to do a better job of protecting the players. We need better medical professionals out there to protect us because we put our like. You could frame it that way, where it comes off as you are trying to change how things are done in the league to protect the players. Well, but like instead of saying they suck. That's but that's so that's my like that's not what he's trying to do, right? Like he knows that I think it's just him being annoyed and right. he's seeing annoyed. a thought and just being right. like, "Oh, you know what? Let Does me just he go play for the this. Saints in, in this this upcoming season in your opinion? Right now as it stands, February 20th, I know there's a ton of time in between yeah. now and June 1st. Do you believe Michael Thomas is going to suit up in a Saints uniform? This fall, if I had to make a guess right now, Mike, I would guess more no than yes. But I do still think it's very possible. But I mean, at the end of the yeah, this is gonna and this is how he's been. So again, like I mean, I we joke like if there's a guy Steve or whoever it is, like if there's someone responsible for you know like handling his social media, like I really wonder if that becomes a thing moving forward. If the Saint or if whoever brings him in says, look, like this stuff can't happen, and this is how you're going to be managed. Like I wonder if that becomes a thing in the future or. I mean, it's not, you know, he's not a kid, though. That's the thing. Like, do you want to treat him like he's not a a veteran of the league? It's not like he's a rookie who's making some, you know, these comments. Like, this is kind of like who he is. And it's not like, again, it's not like he's having, like, huge off the field, like, getting in trouble issues. He's just, it seems like he's got some, something about him that he just likes to cause a little controversy from here and there. So I wonder if teams are willing to accept that and take him in. We've seen if Someone the talent will. outweighs it, yeah, if right. the talent outweighs it, teams will deal with it. So we'll see what happens. But with everything that's gone, that's taken place in New Orleans and the situation that it also might end up saving the Saints some money to move on from him, if I had to make a guess, I would say no. But I still think the door is open for him to return. I would say I'd lean towards him not playing for them. But I agree with you, you know, because we do know Dennis Allen – and P. Carmichael reached out to Michael Thomas to try to repair that relationship, right, in the offseason last year. And he seemed to be pretty much a good soldier until he got injured again, right? And, and if you're Thomas, you're frustrated with being injured all the time, right? So I get it. I do. And he's frustrated. But you got to do it a, in a better way, man. <laughs> you got to do it in a better way. Oh, man, we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day. 
and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. It's all coming up next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, final results of the poll question of the day. We're off tomorrow for Fat Tuesday. So how will you celebrate Fat Tuesday, the final day of Mardi Gras? Will you go to the parades? Will you eat some king cake? Will you party, party, party? Or will you do something else like, I don't know, Dawson and I will be sleeping. 79% of you say other. 8% say go to the parades. Another 8% say eat some king cake. And 5% of you say party, party, party. Texan and Acadiana says, I hide in my closet with a king cake until the storm has passed. <laughs> Todd on Twitter says, I'm off all week. I'm celebrating by sleeping in. My man. Swamp Sate 57. Great Twitter name, by the way. Swamp Sate 57 says, sleep in all caps. I'm here for all of it. Thanks to all who voted on our poll question of the day. And everyone that left their comments on Facebook and Twitter, we appreciate you making us part of your Lunday Grawl morning. I want to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. And of course, the great one, Jim Gozzolo from the Lake Charles American Press. We're going to be off tomorrow for Fat Tuesday, but not to worry. We'll be back on Ash Wednesday, 6 to 9. We'll try to put together a competent show, one that will compel you to call One that will educate you because Dawson has got those fancy degrees. He has those big $5 college words. He will do something along those lines for you on Wednesday, so make sure to tune in for that. Bud, hmm, can you do that for us? Can Can you start educating us, maybe pulling out the thesaurus? We'll do our best, but again, it's sports degrees. They're just not the same as regular degrees. They're just not the same as regular degrees. You have to pay for them like regular degrees, though, bud. That part's 100% true. <laughs> For the producer, Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again Wednesday morning, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to of one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. <laughs>